The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Good morning, Cornerstone. How you doing today? Come on, let's make some noise. I want to welcome our Santan campus and Dave Palmer, all you guys out there. You're doing such a great job. I just can't help myself but to celebrate how crazy cool the vision here is at Cornerstone. You've got Santan campus. You've got a Scottsdale location coming soon. I mean, Pastor Lynn, you're awesome. Thank you so much for having me out. I guess when I'm here, i got to say hello to a whole bunch of folks. Five o'clock service. We're glad that you're letting us join you at five o'clock. And if you're at Cornerstone Online, we're just praying that this experience God would use to impact your life in a really deep way today. My name is Sean Lowe from The Bachelor. (laughs) Pipe dream, huh? Now, my name is Scott Rogers, and I was driving down the 202 yesterday when I got in town. I came around, I missed the exit here by the mall, and I went around 202, and I drove by the big billboard that said, Sean Lowe, Cornerstone, you know, from The Bachelor. And I thought, man, this is super cool. I'm going to keep my eye out from my billboard. And I just kept on driving, and there was nothing. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, it's exciting, man. He's going to be here August 3rd, and we are in a series called Unshakable. And what I love about Cornerstone of many things is that the passion of this place is to teach on the core foundational truths that we can all stand on and that we can live by. And I want to get some interaction here. So you at the Santana location, do this with us. I'm going to see how loud you can get. Maybe we can hear you all the way from over here. Everybody in this room, though, I want you to do this. I'm going to say some statements. And I'm going to say, uh, whatever the statement is, you will respond either true or false. All right, let your voice be heard, express your opinion, and even if you don't have an educated opinion, just go with the popular opinion, all right? So you can look like you're like in the know and you're relevant in what's going on in culture. Okay, here we go. Say it out loud, true or false, your opinion on the following statements. It is good to text while driving. Did someone say yes or no? Now we got, this is not the West Valley. We have rules. It's either true or false. All right. Let your voice be heard. Next one. Sheriff Joe should run for president. Little tension in the room. Lynn Winters should run for president. They're not all bought in yet, Lynn. Sorry, bro. Dogs are man's best friends. Cats are from the devil. Why does that one always get the biggest response? I mean, it sucks to be a cat nowadays. You get no love at all, and for good reason, probably. Here we go. True or false? The U.S. government is hiding alien spacecraft in Area 51. Absolutely. O.J. Simpson is innocent. Stand down. Stand down. It's all right. 
I'll just throw this one in. I didn't write it down. Let's see. Uh, ASU over U of A. Woo! All right, you got to be equal. U of A over ASU. <laughs> oh, you're in church. You're supposed to love your neighbor. I don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, this year's best TV show, ladies, is The Bachelorette. How do you, it's, it's hard to wrap a segment up like that with such an underwhelming response. So let's wrap it up with this question or this statement here and tell me what you really believe. Here it is. The Bible is true. That is too easy to say in church. This is a very safe place to say, oh, the Bible's true. Because we're in church. But what happens when we walk out and we go into the rest of our world and we make a statement or we take a stand for those of you who are followers of Christ that may happen to believe the Bible is true and you take a stand and you say, I believe the Bible is true. Instant tension, automatic controversy. How do we... For those of us who believe scripture is true, how do we stand with an unshakable confidence that the Bible is true? Because it's a very controversial perspective. How do we stand unshakable that the Bible is true? How do we do it? Maybe, maybe it's because you think about what the, what the Bible teaches that creates a little bit of the controversy. All the way back in the beginning. Are you ready? We're going to go Genesis through Revelation in like 48 seconds. You got your clock ready? Here we go. In the beginning, it says that God created everything. The beginning of the world, the origin of mankind. And then the Bible goes on to say that man disobeyed God's one simple command. He gave him everything, but he disobeyed the one. And from that, sin surged into the DNA and the future of all mankind and spread to everyone. But God's immediate response was a very urgent, strategic plan to redeem people back to himself. He could not have a sinful, unholy group of people step into a sinless, holy eternity. He adopts a nation unto himself to carry out his business plan of redemption throughout history. And he moved, he does incredible things. And the biggest thing was when the New Testament begins, God himself comes to earth as a human being, Jesus Christ, the son of God, and lives a sinless life, performing miracle after miracle, teaching profound, insightful stuff, claiming it was from eternity. He dies a bloody, brutal death, is hung on a stake on a cross, put in a grave, put in a tomb, and three days later, he raises or rises from the dead. And he goes out and he walks and he talks to people and he, he commissions his followers and says, hey, this message I've given you that I am the Messiah, take this message into the world and those who believed will believe will be saved, will be forgiven, will have peace with God because there is an eternity, there is a heaven, there is a hell. And he says, soon I will come back and I will establish a forever eternal kingdom. And then he ascends right before their eyes. That's what some of this thing says. That's pretty controversial, don't you think? How do you, how do you believe that? How do you stand with an unshakable confidence that all of the narrative, the arc of the story of scripture is true? You say, I believe it. I believe it. 
One of the most controversial things, in my opinion, that the Bible communicates is what it says about itself. Here's some Bible verses. Bible drill for those of you who have your Bible in your, in your hand right now. If not, just follow on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All scripture, another name for the Bible, or another name for what's called the Word of God. It's all synonymous. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Literally, the Bible says of itself that it's from God. It's God breathed that from his spirit, he brought his word into our world in a supernatural way. This word, it says, is from God. Another one, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and what? Active. It's living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Check this out. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I'm going to take off out of Sky Harbor today at about 6.30, and I'm going to stand in that little x-ray thing. You know, you put your hands up and it spins around you, and it does the x-ray. God's word literally says, when you engage with this, it's going to expose the deep attitudes and the thoughts and the intentions of our heart and who we really are because it's alive and it's active. And here's the third one. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse 13. And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, check this out. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. That's kind of controversial. The book says, I come from God and I'm alive and I'm active and I'm at work in you who believe. So maybe we can stand with an unshakable confidence that this is true, uh, not just on what it claims of itself, but maybe because of its, its long-standing historical presence in our world. Here's a book made of 66 separate books all brought into one. Some of you guys right now are going back to, well, this is like Sunday school. Let's do it, man. Let's go all in on this thought. 66 books in one book written or penned, I should say, by 40 different human beings on three separate continents over the course of about 1,600 years and with no way to go online and chat and and put a plan together about what they're going to write. It ends up being one seamless, consistent message of God, His creation, our fall, and His redemption through Jesus Christ. Maybe it's because of that consistency we can stand with an unshakable confidence that this is true. Or maybe we could say, you know, let's go a little more scientific approach. How many of you guys believe or ever heard of a guy named Plato? Not Plato, Plato, the philosopher. Lift your hand, raise your hand. Santana, raise your hand if you've heard of Plato. As I would understand it, all of Plato's writings, there's basically seven copies of what he said that are that came a thousand years after his death. Interesting. Caesar. There's ten copies that record anything about his life, and they came in about a thousand years after he was alive. And yet, the writings of Scripture, the Old and New Testament, they say we have about 24,000 different fragments and manuscripts that validate the consistency of the writings of Scripture. Literally, only as old as a hundred years after the, uh, the death of Christ. 
So maybe we can stand with an unshakable confidence that the Bible is true because of the antiquity of the manuscripts. But I'm not a smart guy, so I won't go there. That's all I tried. I tried it, guys. I gave it a shot. Maybe it's prophecy. The Bible literally has about 2,000 different prophecies, most of them in very detailed fashion. 300 of which focus on the life, the birth, the life, and the death of Christ. Well, maybe he planned it all. He knew what was written, so he did it. Yeah, he planned where he was born. He planned how he would die and who would do it and in what fashion, who would betray him, and on and on and on and on. Mathematicians will tell us that of just eight of the 300 prophecies of Christ being fulfilled, the odds are one in ten to the 17th power. That is a huge, huge number of odds. I mean, it's equivalent to the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series. Come on, guys. We can stand with an unshakable confidence. The Bible is true. Is it based on fulfilled prophecy? Or maybe we can stand unshakable knowing that throughout history, people have stood unshakable in the face of persecution. They've refused to deny their faith in Jesus. Even the 12 disciples that, that follow Christ when he was here physically, most of them died a brutal, brutal martyr's death. And none of them renounced their faith in the face of death. You would think if 12 guys got together and made up a story, somebody's going to crack. When they pour the hot tar over you and melt your skin off, somebody's going to crack. Oh, bluff, just kidding. Nobody cracked. Thousands and thousands in our in, in history have died facing death and said, I cannot re- renounce this. I stand unshakable that this word is true. Maybe all of that gives us the confidence to say, man, this thing right here, this is, this is true. Maybe. Perhaps not. I think we just read... One of the main ways that you and I can stand unshakable that this is true. Let me review for a second these scriptures. It is breathed of God. All scriptures God breathed. It's living. It's active. And here's the kicker for me. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. And here it is. Which is at work in you who believe. I have one thought. And that is this. That having an unshakable confidence that the Bible is true comes from the work of God in you. If I could talk you into believing it's true, someone much smarter than I could talk you out of it. But it is alive, it's active, and God does his work in us when we choose to believe it, and we trust it, and we obey it, and we step out on it, and we live it. God says, all right, Now I'm going to do a work in you, and that's how we know it's true. This is not simply a book, a textbook, with just a bunch of information and historical narrative. Nor is it only a a religious set of moral standards or laws. Not at all. It's alive and it's active, and God says, when you receive it and you believe it, I begin a work in you, and we love to call that transformation. Having an unshakable confidence comes from the work of God in us. I was praying when I uh, got the email of uh, Cornerstone asking me if I could come out. Here's how I here's how I play. Like I'm super cool, and obviously you've seen me, so you know that's a lie. 
So I get the email, and it's like, hey, Scott, um, love to have you come out, and we're doing a, a series, and come out on in July, and I, I can't remember if it was Marty Sawyers who texted me, or Kim who emailed me, and I'm like, I, so I get it, and uh, I'm, no matter what I'm doing, I'm like, yeah, I get to go out to Cornerstone again, so cool, but I don't do that in response, and I'm like, well, let me check my schedule, and see what's going on, and and then I, when I did that, I'm like, okay, what, so what are you guys talking on? Because usually I'll come out and I'll try to jump into a series. And uh, the folks here said, well, it's, it's a series called Unshakable. Oh, cool. I love it. Man, that'd be so cool to even get like a 3D foam thing on the stage or something with that. You know, it'd be awesome. And I said, what's, what's, the, what's the topic on that particular week? And, and uh, the response was, the Bible is true. <laughs> well, thanks, Lynn, giving me the sexy topics. What's up with that, man? I thought, okay, I'm going to teach how the Bible is true from the Bible itself. And so I began to pray. And I, Actually, I do pray before I come here, so just stand confidence. All right. And I'm praying, and I'm literally like, God, I know I've, I've lived this. I've struggled with this. I've went through ups and downs as a follower of Christ. But I've seen, God, that you work in us through your word. And I really believe that, God, one of the big ways you are at work in our world is through your word. And so, God, help me convince the folks in Santan and here in Chandler that your word is true. God, help me. Give me something really good to convince these people that is true. And you ever, you ever prayed, like, in the middle of your prayer, and you're like, oh, that just, mm, I, that's not right. I, it's kind of like, God, please take the calories away from these donuts. In Jesus' name, amen. And everybody just kind of looks like, really? Is that, what, where, where is that in the Bible, you know? You ever have those prayers where you're like, no, that's not even biblical. I can't pray that. God, you know, God's saying, well, just don't eat them, you know? You made them. So I was praying this, I'm like, God, help me convince everybody that the Bible is true. And I had kind of that awkward discomfort when I was praying. I thought, no, that's not, that's not right. I'm never the smartest guy in the room, so I can't do that. God, would you convince everyone that the Bible is true? Help me put together a, a talk that would really uh, you would really use in a big way to convince everybody that the Bible is true. Same thing, I'm praying, I thought, that's not, I don't even feel right about that. And it kind of hit me, I'm like, you know, maybe God doesn't have to convince any of us of anything. As if he has to give us a sales pitch on who he is to convince us that he's God. His two-minute elevator speech of this is who I am and why you need to know who I am and love me. God, God doesn't need to convince us. I think about convincing. I took up uh, cycling a little over a year ago, and it's a blast. And where I come from, there's a ton of people who are into cycling. I'm going out with a group of guys in about seven weeks, and we're going to do a ride around Lake Tahoe. And it's not, it's not horribly long. It's 72 miles, but it's like 6,200 feet of elevation with about 6,000 feet of overall, um, climbing. And I'm like, I'll be sucking wind, man, with the oxygen level. I'm like, Shelly, my wife, can I get that new bike before I do the ride around Tahoe? I just want to get that. I'm trying to convince her to let me buy a new bike. And it's not like you go to Walmart and get the $150 bike when you're doing this kind of stuff. And she's like, no way. You're going to ride what you have, buddy. You're stuck with what you have. I, I just can't convince her to let me get the new bike. My girls, we have three teenagers now. Ashley is 17. Morgan is 16. <laughs> yeah, two teenage girls at the same time. Who to thunk? And a 13-year-old boy. And I'm telling you, our teenage girls 
believe it's their calling in life right now to convince me to pay for their fuel to drive all over the place seven days a week. (laughs) Fill the tank every other day. They're convinced. And they're trying to convince me that that's my role. And I'm like, it's not going to fly. We're going to help. We're not going to do it all. Does God really try to convince us? I mean, I'm going to try to convince Lynn to not only let me come in July, but come on, invite me during spring training, man. Come on, not just July. Let's add some other stuff to this fun factor here. Does God really have to convince us that the Bible is true? I would suggest he doesn't. But here's what he does. When we believe it, and we live it out, and we obey it, I know it's a four-letter word, but when we obey it, He simply confirms it. That's what he does. He doesn't stress about convincing us it's true. He simply confirms it that it's true. He backs it up. He performs it as we walk it out. I think one of the greatest verses, one of my favorite in scripture that illustrates this well is in Psalm chapter 34 and verse 8. And it simply says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I think God simply says, taste and see. Not going to give you my sales pitch. Not going to try to convince you. Take my word as I say it is. It's from me. It's alive. It's active. And when you live it out, I am at work in you. I'm going to confirm this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We were over at uh, some of our friend's house a few weeks ago. We're just hanging out by the pool, barbecuing, and then there's maybe a dozen of us. And uh, one couple said, hey, we're going to go on vacation in a couple weeks. And I said, where are you going to go? Because we live where we live, we're 90 minutes from Lake Tahoe, 90 minutes from Napa Valley, two hours from the San Francisco Bay Area. There's a lot of choices you can do right where we live. A half hour away, you can go hiking in some fabulous places in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And so they're going to go on vacation. I'm thinking, well, man, where do you go on vacation if you live here? Where are you guys going to go? And they said, Phoenix. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's June right now. It's going to be July when you're there. Really going to Phoenix? And then they said, well, we're going to go to uh, the Grand Canyon. We're going to go to Sedona and all that stuff. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Perfect. It's beautiful up there. And I said to him, I said, okay, make sure you do something for me. They'll promise me you're going to do something. And they're thinking, what, what, man? You're kind of getting weird here. What do you want us to do while we're in Phoenix? I said, you've got to stop at one of the most, my most favorite coffee shops in the whole world, And I think, for me, is maybe the best coffee I've ever had is in Phoenix. And I said, and they were like, well, where is this? And I said, well, it's it's in 4420 North Central. It's called the Lux. I said, that is, for me, awesome coffee. And if you can't make it there, go to Cartel Coffee. I don't know why it is, but for me, the best coffee in the country is in the desert. That does not make sense, people. But keep it up. You're doing great. And I begin to describe the Lux. I'm like, you know, man... You go in there and, and you smell just the aroma of the coffee and it's as if the presence of God and His glory has ascended on the house. It's there. And the sound of the beans grinding is like heavenly choruses lifting up the name of God for all of eternity. It's really cool. It's a hipster vibe and the coffee's phenomenal. In fact, I told them, 
doesn't matter what you get. I don't care if you get a sandwich. Get their homemade whipped cream and put it on there. Because that stuff is sick. It is sinful. And it is awesome. Get the homemade whipped cream. And I'm describing this whole thing. I'm thinking, man, i gotta, I got to do that when I go out there to Cornerstone in a few weeks. And so I'm trying to convince them. Go check out the Lux. So, they'll go. They're not back yet. I, I don't know if they went or not. But I'm assuming if they went, they're going to go in. They're going to think all everything I said. But then they're actually going to sit down with that cool little design on the top of the foam, right? They make like all these cool little, you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Is there a word for that? Like foam designs, sculpting foam or something like that? And you hate to drink it because it looks like a piece of art. But you go, and I, I can just imagine that when they finally drink it, there's no more convincing that's necessary. It's confirmed, baby. The deal is done. The sale is made. They know, okay, their opinion may not be the best, but they're like, oh, this is good coffee. God says, taste and see. Taste and see that I am good. And for many of you, I would just imagine if you're anything like me, and we're talking about how to have an unshakable confidence that the Bible is true, and you're thinking, if you're a follower of Christ, Maybe God's bringing thoughts to your mind where you're like, man, I, I know I'm supposed to trust God's word in this area of my life, but I'm hesitant. I don't want to do that. God says, taste and see. Let me confirm it in your life. You take the first step and I'll follow it up and I will make it happen. Taste and see. God, I don't want to love my neighbors myself. Man, those neighbors, those guys are jerks. Taste and see. I don't want to treat my spouse with respect. He doesn't deserve that. Well, he probably doesn't, but taste and see. Maybe do it anyway. Taste and see that the Lord is good. When we will walk out his word and do it in our life, he will come and he will confirm it in our life. Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 7. Really interesting. Uh, how many of you guys ever heard of what's called the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah? Santan, Sermon on the Mount, you know it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. I think it's one of the most profound, deep, and amazing teachings recorded in the Bible that Jesus spoke himself. If you go through the whole thing, he's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about prayer and forgiving others and, and loving your enemy and how to fast and how to not be a hypocrite and be religious in front of people and, and how to ask and knock and God will open the door and a whole bunch of stuff like narrow is, is the gate but wide is the way that leads to destruction but narrow is the way that leads to life. All this stuff and it's like whoa, whoa, whoa and, and how, how money can be our God in place of God and how Jesus says, well, hey, does, does, does worrying add one day to your life and all this stuff and he wraps it up in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 24, and he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and what? Puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. First thing that says to me is that we are, Jesus is an equal opportunity teacher. We all have the same opportunity to respond to what he says and to put it into practice. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do what scripture teaches. I'm going to follow the ways of Christ and I'm going to build my house on the rock, the rock of Jesus. And and it's the foundation and man, I'm going to be strong. And so that must mean there's not going to be any trials in life. There's not going to be pain or sorrow or tragedy. And if I build my house on the rock, my life is going to be comfortable, successful. Every business endeavor is going to succeed if I pray and read my Bible in the morning. Every marriage is going to be like walking on a path of roses every single day. If I go to Cornerstone Church and just worship with the guys on stage wearing plaid shirts and skinny jeans, and I, it's, it's, everything is going to be great if I just... Say, I love God. But then here's what he says. You do it all. You hear it. You put it into practice. Yeah, you're wise. He says, the rain will come down. The streams will rise. And the winds will blow and beat against your house, your life. Yet, it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. When we choose to believe God's word and live it out and he confirms it, in my experience, it doesn't promise a path of uh, painlessness. But he will confirm it. And when you and I stand before him throughout times in our life, yeah, we will stand. When all hell breaks loose, we will still be able to stand and face the pain, face the grief, and walk through it because we have our comforter at our side. And while we could seem like we're hopeless, we're full of hope and we can give that to other people because we're able to stand because we live according to his word. And then ultimately one day when we step across the line of this life into the next and we stand before God, we will be able to stand because of his grace, and he gave us his word to live by. And then he goes on. But everyone who hears these words of mine, same hearers, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man. So here we have the antithesis. First, the similarity is they both hear. One puts it into practice and is accounted, or is is, is basically said that they're wise. One hears, doesn't put it into practice, and Jesus Probably lovingly says, hey man, that's foolish. Here's these words, puts them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Just shaky, shaky foundation. The rain came down. Well, I thought the guy that was wise, he, he had rain too. So you ever, you ever thought that? You're getting something they didn't get at the previous service. We're just going for this now. You ever thought, man, I follow the teaching of scripture and that guy didn't. And why does it stink for me right now? But he seems fine. Anybody else honest here? Three guys right here. Jesus said the same rains are going to come. Same storms because we live in a broken, fallen, sinful world. And by the way, look in the mirror. You're not perfect, right? The rain came down. The streams rose. They blew against the house and beat against the house. And it what? It fell with a great crash. You and I have a choice. Everyone at the Santan campus, you have a choice. Are we going to take the teachings of Christ and are we going to put them into practice 
so that in our life, in this time, in this temporary world, we can still stand regardless of what comes our way. And then ultimately, we can stand and we step into eternity because we took his words and we believed it and we obeyed it and we lived it out and then he confirmed it. And he did that work in us because of that. And now we're able to stand with an unshakable confidence that the Bible, it's true. August 1st, 2007. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Anybody ever been to Minneapolis? (laughs) I was thinking about something in Minneapolis for just a second, so I better get back to this. Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 1st, 2007. Bridge 9340 going over the Mississippi River on Interstate 35. The bridge was was 40 years old. One of the main arteries for traffic going through the city. And it was on rush hour, August 1st, 2007. While it was in repair, some of the lanes were closed down. And so during rush hour, it was packed with slow moving traffic. It collapsed. Tragically, 13 people met their fate in that moment. They never made it home. The bridge was stressed. It was cracking. It had been inspected and they knew it was stressed. It was cracking. We'd better get to work on it. We'd better repair it. So, of course they did, but they still drove over it. It couldn't handle it. It just collapsed. That sad story I want to just kind of use and bring it up to Matthew chapter 7 that we just read. You and I, we can live our life disregarding the teachings of Christ and we can go over the bridge day after day after day after day and never really see the stress or the cracks and the foundation that we're living our life on. There may become a day when if you and I disregard the teachings of Christ, that we would get through this life very fortunate and not have anything that would just wreck it all. But yet, when we stand before God, we will learn what the foundation is that we've been living on. Don't let your foundation be on your own wisdom, your own education, the teachings of man. Go to the Word of God and let that be our foundation because no matter what comes our way, we will stand because He can make us stand. We can stand with a, with an unshakable confidence that this word is true. Not because of all the stuff that, that history or antiquity or prophecy or the, the people who've, who've not renounced their faith in their life, but because God works in us. And you can say, I know Jesus because he's transforming my life from his word. That's why I believe this Bible is true. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father God, Thank you so much for just giving me an opportunity, a chance to try to talk about your word. Lord, I pray that right now it'd it'd be a supernatural moment for many people. God, I pray that you would put in our heart a hunger for your word, God, and a conviction that it's true and we can stand on it and we can live on it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to ask those of you who are followers of Christ. Maybe you're in a place in your life right now where where I would pray that God would use this message to to stir you up and maybe reignite a passion for his word in your life. 
You love Jesus, you're going to heaven, you go to church, all that stuff, but maybe you're not at a place where you're daily in God's word saying, God, speak to me through your word. Yet you know the power of that. You know the importance of that. And maybe your prayer today is, Scott, I just want to pray that God would would reignite in me a hunger for his word. If that's you, you say, Scott, pray for me. I want God to reignite in me that hunger for his word. Just lift your hand for a sec. Lift it up. Come on, man, be honest. Father God, look at all these hands. I I just pray for the folks here at the Santan location, God. And even at 5 o'clock service right now that have their hands up. God, I pray that you would light a fire in us. A fire of passion and hunger for your word, Lord. And when we engage in scripture, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us because your word is alive, it's active, it's from you, and Lord, you do a work in us when we choose to believe it. So God, we pray that you would confirm your word in our life. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment longer, I'm going to read, say one more verse to you. It comes out of Acts chapter 2. And it says, be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Be assured of this. Maybe you're sitting here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. For me, I would be horrible for me to walk away saying God's word is true and yet not give you an opportunity to respond by saying, God, I want you in my life. Scott just said that Jesus has been crucified. He's both Lord and Christ to be assured of it. So God, would you confirm that in my life? I want to give you my heart. Jesus, I want to ask you into my life. And maybe you're sitting here, your head's bowed, your eyes closed, and you don't know him. And yet your prayer, your desire today is to know Jesus. Well, I want to pray. I want to pray a prayer of offering our lives to Christ and invite you to participate in that. Right where you're seated. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And if you're like, Scott, man, I'm in. Include me in this prayer. I want to ask Christ in my life today. Include me in this prayer. If that's you, lift your hand as well. Come on, I want to see who I get to pray for. Sir, I praise God for you. There's three, four, five people over here. Awesome, six, way in the back. Praise God for you. Another one over here. Scott, include me in this prayer. I want Christ in my life. And right up here in the second row, praise God for you, sir. Who else? I want God to confirm this in my life. I want you in my life. Jesus, be my Savior. Yeah, right over here to, to my right. Who else? God, include me in this prayer. I'm giving my life to Christ. Yeah, praise God for you. Good for you. Fantastic. Two people in the back to my right. Yeah, I got you right over here. Good for you. Even if I don't see you, that's, it's not about me. It's about your heart in front of God right now. Let's pray this together, you guys. Let's do it as a family. And for those of you who raised your hand, raise your heart and your voice and call on him right now. And let's just pray this. Say, Father God, today I'm surrendering my life to you. I choose to believe that what you say in the Bible is true. That I'm a sinner. That Jesus died for my sin. That he rose again. That he's alive. Jesus, live in me. Be my savior. Be the Lord of everything. Forgive me. Make me a child of God. Help me to stand with an unshakable confidence that you exist, that your word is true, and that Jesus, you are Lord. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, man. A whole bunch of people just raised their hand. That's Christ in their life. Congratulations. Congratulations, man. Wow. 
so cool. All right, Ryan. Thanks, man.